Hello gamers, and thank you for tuning into another episode of The Cartridge Club. The Cartridge Club is a community of gamers, collectors, content creators, and gaming enthusiasts of all generations. The show that you're listening to is effectively a monthly book club, but for gamers. We pick a game, invite everyone in the club to play along, and select a couple of community members to come on the show and discuss the game. My name is Ryan, aka it's Rocket Sauce, and I'm one of the hosts for the show. Without any further ado, let me introduce the panel for this month. From the Polykill Podcast, we have Jake. Hello, how's it going? And from the Frantic Thoughts Podcast, we have Josh. What's up? How's everybody doing? Thanks for being here, guys. And now I'm going to hand it over to my co-host, Musty Hobbit, who will let us know what game we're playing for this month. Musty, take it away. Thank you, Ryan. And again, thank you for joining us for another episode of Cartridge Club Prime. This month, we have chosen a AAA title that just came out last month. The first for the club uh, and the newest game that we have ever played, uh, and that is Red Dead Redemption 2, uh, a Rockstar title, an open-world cowboy game. I'm excited to have you guys along, and I'm excited to have some of our select Patreons here in the live chat as well, watching us stumble through all of the fun stuff that's going on with our live stream. But I do want to point out that the Cartridge Club itself is funded entirely off of Patreon donations and pledges. And so if you are interested in helping the club uh, stay afloat and keep the both the website and the podcast going, please check that out at patreon.com slash cartridge club, uh, or you can check out our merchandise store at tpublic.com slash cartridge club. But we will get started here today. There is so much to talk about with this game. Uh, and I think some of us, myself included, haven't even really scratched the entire surface, although we are further along than, than others. And so for those of you who maybe haven't had a chance to play Red Dead Redemption 2 yet, or you still have plans to, I want to just preface that we will sort of do a cutoff on story content somewhere in chapter four. Uh, We want to make sure that you can enjoy the end game of this without having us ruin it for you. I know that there was a lot, a lot, a lot of hype going into this game's release. So I want to kind of get a feel for the panel as far as where... They're at maybe with their experience with Rockstar Games, maybe where they were at for from a hype level on Red Dead itself. And so we'll get into all of that right after the breakdown. Red Dead Redemption 2 is a Western-themed action-adventure game developed and published by Rockstar Games. It is a prequel to the 2010 game Red Dead Redemption and the third entry in the Red Dead series. Set in 1899, the story centers on outlaw Arthur Morgan, a member of the Vanderlyn Gang, as he comes to term with the growing industrialization and the sunset of the era of outlaws and gunslingers in turn-of-the-century United States. Red Dead Redemption 2 was released for the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One on October 26, 2018. It has been universally acclaimed by critics who praise the story, characters, and detailed open world. At the 2018 Game Awards, it won awards in four categories, including Best Sound Design, Narrative, Score and Music, and Best Performance for Roger Clark's portrayal of Arthur Morgan. The game generated $725 million in sales from its opening weekend, shipping over 17 million copies in its first two weeks. Red Dead Redemption 2 plays from a third-person perspective, but can also be played in first-person mode, and once the opening is completed, the player has full agency to roam the world in any way they see fit seeking out strangers to pursue side missions, collecting on debts, hunting and skinning wild game, and seeing the world and what mysteries may be just around the bend. 
Red Dead Redemption 2 also includes an online mode akin to Grand Theft Auto Online, but as of this recording, this mode was not yet available. But let's get into it. Let's hear where the panel was at with the game prior to and leading up to its release. Okay, so uh, oddly enough, I, I had very little hype for this game coming in, and partly due to my, I guess, some somewhat previous uh, lackluster experience with Rockstar Games, and that might come off as a bit weird to some, but open world games in general tend to terrify me. There's just so much to do, and I never feel like I get to all of it. And I've played uh, a lot of the Grand Theft Auto games, never did finish four. I did play Grand Theft Auto five upon release back in 2013, I guess it was, and just have no real uh, attraction to open world games, mainly just because I like to play through a narrative and, and move on to the next thing. So like all the previous games have been just kind of okay for me. And I think it was the last trailer or maybe one of those like gameplay breakdown videos that Rockstar released kind of flipped me on it. And I was like, well, this actually seems pretty interesting. I'd like to play it. I'd like to get my hands on it. And so I didn't have like this massive expectation that it seems like a lot of other people did. And um, obviously, it's, I think it's lived up to everyone's expectation. But for me, it kind of went from zero to 60 because I, I really didn't, you know, I had no massive expectation for it. I was just like, this looks interesting now. I kind of want to play it. Excellent. And Josh, let's let's get your impressions here. I know you like to ride the hype train on things. Were you were you as hyped for Red Dead as uh, as some of the other things that you were looking for this year? Oh, yeah. I've been playing Rockstar Rockstar games since GTA 3, and I'm a little younger, so GTA 3 came out when I was too young to play it. But ever since then, I've been pretty much addicted to that style of open world, and it's one of my favorite series, GTA, it was. And then when Red Dead Redemption 1 came out, I love the game to death, but there's this part in that game where a lot of people fall off around Mexico. If you've played it, you know where I'm talking about. I hated the game at the time. I was like, this game sucks. Why is it so slow? And then after a couple of years, I went back and I beat Red Dead Redemption 1. And I was like, oh, my God, that game was amazing. So my hype level was pretty through the roof, seeing the trailers and the lead up to it. Uh, so much so that I actually took off a few days of work to grab it, download it and play it. So, yeah, pretty awesome. I'm, I'm enjoying it, too, obviously. <laughs> Right. And Ryan, where were where were you at on on the uh, on the Rockstar hype and uh, and your experience, I guess, with uh, Rockstar games going into this? I was pretty high. I really, really liked the first game a lot where I would say it's probably one of my favorite games of last generation. So I, my, my hype levels were pretty high. I, I can recall the reveal was um, the same day that the switch was revealed. So it was like a huge, huge day for like video game announcements. We were flying to Portland that day too for PRGE. So, and we're just before boarding to the plane to Portland. It was see the switch reveal, and as soon as we get after, just pull up, you know, your phone to watch the reveal for uh, Red Dead. It was like right in between, perfect timing for that too. But yeah, so I was really excited for this game going in. I tried to stop watching all the lead ups to it. That Rockstar reveal wasn't that like an hour long video or something like that. Because I, I tuned I, I tuned in for five minutes and I was like, you know what? I just kind of want to experience this for myself. I, I know I'm already going to buy this. I don't need any more selling points for myself. So I guess I was really excited going into this game. Yeah, Rockstar tends to do a pretty 
good blanket job with their marketing and making sure that you have a good feel for everything that you're you're getting into. And I, for from my perspective, Red Dead Redemption One was one of my favorite games of of the previous generation, and actually is ironic because it came out the day after I started at my current place of employment, and so I, there's some association with my early time there with with the original game, which I adored. Uh, and to those who haven't played Red Dead Redemption One, why why not? You really should go check that game out. Now, the nice thing is that this game is a prequel, and therefore. There are some story components. There are some people that are shared in both games, but aren't necessarily, you're not necessarily going to have to worry about having played the first Red Dead Redemption game prior to playing this one, aside from the improvements in mechanics and things like that, that five years of development time could certainly certainly provide. For me, Red Dead has always been more than just GTA with horses, and and that that is an oversimplification that some people give, just because it does follow some of the Rockstar mechanics. But we'll get into all of that. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but yeah, I've played every GTA since three, played four to a hundred percent, even went after all those pigeons, which was um, not a lot of fun, but. I was really looking forward to this one. And again, I, I, I recall, Ryan, you bring up that trip to Portland was my first PRGE. And yeah, the, like it was my layover in, in between flights to get there where all of a sudden there was all of this news. And, you know, two years later, we, we finally have the game. And so I know I, I was really excited about it. All of the stuff that kind of came out in the last month and a half prior to release didn't sully my opinion. Uh, opinion of the game I, I feel like the uh there was a lot of talk for for those who weren't aware there was talk of the way that rockstar manages development time and their employees and things like that that were kind of i don't know if unethical is the right term or if it's just an industry standard but people have always talked about rockstar games as having unlimited budget unlimited time and unlimited resources and i think we're coming to realize that that isn't necessarily the case but you can definitely see the amount of polish especially just leading up with you know here's all the little things you can do you you know you've got to make sure that you keep your horse clean otherwise they they won't run in as well you need to you need to make sure that arthur your main character you can keep him tidy, you can shave, or you can give him mutton chops if you want, or uh, a big old beard, things like that. And so Rockstar really just kind of hits you with this deluge of stuff. So the Rockstar formula itself, everyone says it's open world. Everyone says that it, you know, you you play as your main, or in some of the other games, play as multiple main characters. So in Red Dead Redemption 2, you play as Arthur Morgan, one of the Vanderlyn gang, uh, which is a uh, gang of outlaws in the late era of the Old West, sort of the uh, late 1800s, and uh, kind of having to deal with the sort of aftermath of what seems to be a job that went really, really wrong. And so Arthur, uh, you play exclusively as Arthur, and, and Arthur uh, is kind of dealing with this among all of the other gang members. And there are a lot of the, the cast is here is huge. You know, you, of course you have the gang leader whose name is Dutch. And then there's a number of people, one of them being John Marston, who was the protagonist from Red Dead Redemption one, but 
there's a number of other characters. Each of them ha- kind of has a different role. You have uh, the individual who is kind of deals with their their he's their banker. He kind of deals with delinquent payments on people. You've got sort of this uh, individual who runs a little wild. I don't want to talk about the entire cast. I want to let you guys kind of discuss uh, outside of of Arthur. Who do you guys really like from this ensemble cast that you have? And Josh, I want to start with you. Is is there somebody that you want to talk about as an individual, or that you, that or a number of people that you kind of um, I attached to over your time with the game? Definitely uh, two characters in specific I can think of. Uh, Lenny, because of a specific mission. I don't know if y'all want to talk about that yet, but I kind of grew to love that character in that specific mission. And then uh, Sadie Adler, which. She's just a spitfire and has a great personality, super strong character, pretty uh, antithetical from like what women were back in that time period. She's like rough and tough and stuff. I, I love that character a lot. And also just a really random fact for the game. There are over 500,000 recorded lines of dialogue for this game. I was like, holy crap, that's a lot. So you're going to hear a lot of spoken word. There's going to be a lot of random NPCs around the world that you could just speak to everybody, which is a pretty cool gameplay mechanic. And I actually latched onto that a lot. I would just be walking around town, just being like, Hey, howdy, how are you? How is, how's it going? And then like every once in a while, you end up with a conversation tree that lasts like eight or nine times. And you have like this full conversation with this, this random person on the side of the road, which was pretty cool too. But yeah, those, so those are the two characters that stand out to me, but I kind of like almost everybody in this game. Everybody feels so fully fledged and everybody has, such a deep character, you know, they're really thought out. So I have to agree on Sadie um, and Sadie's how Sadie comes to the gang is kind of uh, tragic, but her arc is, is really cool. Jake, uh, you have anything on, on those two characters or are there others in the, in the gang that you, uh, that you have grown to uh, be attached to? Uh, yeah, I think that, um, First of all, I think my favorite character is Dutch, and that might already be somewhat cliche, but I feel like every single thing about Dutch is, is perfectly done. Like his cast, uh, even like the the animations in terms of like uh, the way his body language does, his voice actor, it all just feels so real. And he, you feel like even from the very start, obviously the, the game starts with uh, a job gone wrong. But you, you feel this overconfidence and this compensation that runs through like every conversation that you have with him and these like little undertones of him doing his best to try to take care of these folks, but also not really coming to grips with reality either because he's so stubborn and so uh, headstrong that he feels like his way is best. And then I think second favorite, aside from the protagonist, would be John, just kind of seeing him early. Um, seeing his interactions with Abigail and young Jack and and it's kind of knowing where that goes uh, later in the first game, (laughs) since it's kind of a sequel to this. I just really loved seeing those interactions, but I I do think Dutch is my favorite. He's uh, kind of, I empathize with him. I also can't stand him, but I also, he's very sympathetic at times. So I could totally see that. Ryan, uh, where? How about you? Are there are there others in that huge gaggle of people that uh, that that you liked, or or are there are there story components that those characters kind of bring to you that are interesting? So I'll say probably aside from the main character, Sadie is probably my favorite character in the game. So much so, where 
if they decide to make another game, I wouldn't wouldn't be upset if they made her the main lead. Um, I don't know if they have any like tie-ins to. I mean, you see John's in this game, and he was the protagonist for the first game. Where if they somehow do a tie-in with Sadie, I think that'd be fantastic because I know she's she was just my favorite character in this whole game. Dutch was fantastic. He was also from the pre- previous game too. You kind of see how the, everyone gets to be for because, like I said, this is a prequel. So, and Micah Bell, who was, you know, he's he's. We were discussing where I yesterday, kind of in our pre-recording chat, that I I thought I could see ties with him to being Trevor, really some sort of relation to Trevor from the Grand Theft Auto Five game. You just you see a lot of similarities, so much so that the actor I was surprised to find that it's not the same voice actor doing Micah as it was Trevor. So I was kind of um, taken back by that. So that really kind of stood out with me a little bit. So um. There's there's a huge cast here. I'm just trying to I guess pick up my favorites is kind of hard. Charles Smith is great. He's um somebody who's half African American, half Native American, and he's kind of you see him kind of dealing with the time the time period, if you will, like I guess not really having a place because of that because he's 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 just it's just who he is and what the time was. So and he's in this gang and. You know, as Arthur, you're seeing, you know, these people's lives go along with it. I think he's a great character. So, um, yeah. So these these are the, I guess, the ones that really kind of stand out for me out of the giant cast here. And I know there's, I'm not doing it all good enough, you know, doing good enough explaining the best characters here because there's such a giant roster here. And I know I'm just, I'm doing it a disservice not picking out more here. Well, I mean, and and, and that's where. That's where having such a diverse cast, like uh, just a couple, just to throw in there uh, of my own that I like. I really like Hosea, which is kind of the he's the like main advisor to to Dutch. He's kind of to me, he seems to be a voice of reason um, or but he's always looking ahead. He's always like, what's the next big job? How are we going to get out of this? What what's what's you know, how do we get to live our lives again? Um after all of this is done and after the world has grown up around us and we're still out there, you know, with our bandanas over our faces and holding up stagecoaches, <laughs> he's, he's constantly looking for that next thing, which, which I really like. And then uh, Leopold Strauss, I, I mentioned him earlier. He's kind of their, he's their banker. He is the one who loans money to people. And then when they don't pay, he sicks the dogs on them to, uh, to go collect. And so, that then opens up an entire chain of missions to to uh, Arthur, who is our main character and who is basically Dutch's right hand man and his enforcer. And uh, I don't know, there's so many roles that Arthur plays in this gang. And at the same time, he is one of the more conflicted protagonists I think that I've seen in a Rockstar game to this point in time. He but at the same time, you get to kind of project yourself into the character. So really, your your Arthur can be uh, an honorable individual. Your Arthur can be a, an absolute outlaw, and uh, you know bounties everywhere. And so I'm 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 cur- curious for you guys what kind of direction you want. For me, I played it kind of in the middle. I really didn't. But when big decisions came up, there's a big decision early on where you and, and Jake, I think you talked about this on a recent episode of Polykill. 
after the first big train robbery. So I, I actually want to let you tell okay. your story there. You'll have to, you have to refresh my memory. I'm trying to remember what this is. You, you got into the caboose of that train and then you, you came out and there were three individuals on the ground and you kind of had to make a decision in that oh. moment. Oh yeah. 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 So yeah. Cause that's, um, Dutch kind of is overseeing the robbery, uh, after everything kind of, uh, kind of goes to its foregone conclusion. He just kind of leaves you to deal with these three people, uh, who end up, you know, just being basically NPCs that are somewhat nameless, but he leaves you like, you can let them go or you can kill them. You can do whatever you want. So like I, if I recall, because honestly, that's been forever ago in the game, and I'm trying to remember exactly what I did. But I think I ended up letting one go, uh, but I think I killed the other two because they uh, they got a little feisty. So, like, there's lots of little, I guess, moral dilemmas like that that, that don't seem like big moments, but they, they kind of are. They kind of give you those big moments to do what you want to with them. Uh, it's not like, you know, a Telltale game where it's like, you feel this tension in the decision you're about to make. And it's just, you have to make a decision in the moment based on, you know, how you want to play or how you're feeling at the moment, or what do you think kind of fits the character that you're trying to create in this world? And it's, yeah, you, you kind of lose a little bit of the tension of it, but it also kind of feels more realistic because, you know, in life you, you don't get those big cues that this is a massive decision all the time. You just make decisions based on what you're presented with. So I, uh, I enjoyed that very yeah. much. It seems like there's some lasting impact to those decisions as well. I, I know that yeah. there are moments where where your actions or your choice of inaction uh, mm -hmm. has downstream effects. And I, I may, maybe you guys might have an example of this. I think, Josh, I think you were talking about that on, on your show as well. Yeah, there's one I can think of that happened to me a couple of days ago. Uh, well, this mission that there's these random, they're like little blips that'll happen as you're riding your horse and you can help somebody out on the side of the road. And um, there's this guy who had a snake bite and I'm like, okay, let me go see what help this guy out. You could either choose to, you know, uh, give him a antidote or suck the poison out. So I suck the poison out. I'm like, he's like, Hey, don't talk about this, you know, whatever. And then you give him a, and I give him a whiskey and he drank it and he's like, Oh, thank you partner. Whatever. I, I feel a lot better. And uh, later on in the game, I'm, I'm like, dude, I, there's this outfit I've been wanting to buy. So I've been making my honor level higher so I could buy this specific outfit. So I went back to uh, Rhodes, which is a town in the game, went to the shop and the guy sitting out front. He's like, hey, it's you. It's the guy that suck out, sucked out the poison. And then the guy, the guy sitting next to him is like, oh, that's the dude that sucked out, your, uh, sucked on your leg. Come on, guy. <laughs> and then uh, he's like, <laughs> uh, he's like, go in the shop and buy whatever you want. I'm like, okay, cool. So I go in the shop and the outfit says zero dollars and he buys the outfit for me. And that's just like a random thing that happened in the world, which was just kind of awesome. I was like, damn, I didn't expect that, you know? So it's pretty cool. Yeah. I've encountered that actually on two different occasions in different towns. And then I think it was earlier this week I was playing and I, I was leaving camp and there was a woman by the side of the road and she was like, help, I've been bitten. I was like, ah, I'll get another free hat or outfit out of this or whatever hopped on off my horse and then she pulls a gun out and then like six guys come out of the woods and hold me up. And I was like, man, they just really suckered me into that, <laughs> you know, trying to go get, you know, they've, they've kind of led me along with this carrot and then just smacked me with a stick at the end of it. But I love that. I like, I like being surprised and, and that, you know, surprised me. 
Yeah, and I mean, you can you can go in either direction with those things. Those those straight uh, those little blips that pop up, they're all proximity based. So it's not one of the things that kind of differentiates, I think, Red Dead from say a GTA is that you don't have a map necessarily that's full of markers. You've got a few things. It's like here's this area, and this is the sort of known location of. Uh, I'll I'll use the the Strauss missions as an example, right? Leopold Strauss tells you like there's a debtor. They live at this homestead. They're going to be somewhere here, and so there's there's sort of this white cloud over that area of the map, knowing that you'll find them somewhere in that location. But along the way, you'll ride along and. There was one point I was riding along and a guy pulled up, pulled his horse up next to me. He's like, hey, you want to race to so-and-so? You want to go to this place? You know, first one there, first one there wins. And in a GTA, there'd be there'd be a, a circle with a race flag on it, right? But this right. seemed to ha- just sort of pop up organically. It was like, hey, you know what? He's headed in that direction anyway. Why not? Why not give him something entertaining to do along the way? Because one of the one of the things about this game and one of the it's both brought out some comedic elements for me i think you guys might have some stories here too but fast travel really is not that much of a thing you they really uh force you to ride your horse from location to location and sometimes if you're not paying attention you will run straight into a stagecoach or (laughs) uh run over somebody i i had there's a story point I can't remember if it's in, there's a story point where you are returning to an area uh, that you had been previously and in true Red Dead fashion, there's some moody music playing. It's really kind of, you're in this solitude of reflection in the moment. And one of the things that, and I learned this from Josh, was that if you have a waypoint and you are, uh, you can turn on this cinematic camera, which gives you some really nice, angles as you're riding right like instead of just having that third person pulled back view of you just riding down a path with the the trees flowing by or you know here's a cornfield or or something like that you uh, you turn on cinematic camera and it's doing these like helicopter shots and and that sort of thing problem is at the end of that ride as i came to that location the horse didn't slow down because <laughs> i didn't tell him to and I, I smacked right into the the place that I was in just as just as John was going, is anybody here? And then <laughs> boom. And I saved that video. I'll share it uh, at some point. But it was, it was like, wow, they took this super reflective emotional moment and then just I just straight up busted out <laughs> laughing. It was really funny. And I th- I think I ran over two guys in a in a city as well in the process, just because I it kept it kept you on the path, but it doesn't it doesn't actively pay attention to yeah. And would that raise your wanted level then right after doing that too? No, I don't think I I don't think I killed them. I just knocked them over. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I, I, I just killed so many people in my yeah. Life. I've I've ran over a couple people that also you're like, dang it, and you just because yeah. like, then you're wanted level, <laughs> and then there's cops and shooting at you, and we're like, damn, because then you can't do a mission if you're wanted, right? So you have to get out of the area as fast yeah. as you can, and then you can come back. But then there's yeah. a bounty on your head, which then, you know, get if you don't pay, pay off. that off, they'll come right after you. So, so. Yeah. I've had a few bounty hunter uh, encounters. And ones where it's like, I got all the way to this point. 
I think it was these deader missions. It's really like the one side mission that I've that I was having fun with was that uh, I got all the way to this one location just as I was about to walk in. I saw the red lights on the like on your little mini map. There's a there's mm. these little red dots, or you'll see sort of the edge has sort of a red hue to it uh, to indicate that there's enemies in that direction. Uh, the moment that I was about to like open the door, it was like you can't go in here now. I'm like great and i turn around and there's like eight guys on horseback <laughs> and i proceeded to slaughter all of them um because that, they, they, gonna... they wrote up on me when i was just pulling the trigger on the legendary coyote oh no oh, man. yeah so yeah gotta gotta pay those bounties <laughs> yeah. so jake you've been you've been kind of taken by the hunting as i understand i absolutely love it yeah i um like actually like hunting the legendary animals is a lot less rewarding to me because it's more procedural it's like find the first clue track it find the next clue track it find the next clue kill it which i get you know like it's it's more of a um, uh, defining kind of kill because there's only one of these but i love just like trying to like uh, go to a trapper or go to a butcher or go to pearson at the camp and see what pelts i need to get a certain outfit or satchel upgrade or whatever and then just go out in the woods and, you know, track animals and hunt them down and, you know, try to get the the perfect version of that pelt. And I don't know, it's it's, it's kind of relaxing in a way. Um, Can I ask you a question about the hunting then? Yeah. Is there it. a way, is it just like hunting with a bow and arrow to get the best way to get a perfect pelt? Or because like, I swear, like I get nothing more than like the poor pelts, right. if you will. Well, there's there's a couple of defining ways to get the perfect pelt one is you have to have at least a three-star animal uh, and you can tell the the rating of it by just like aiming at it if it's one star it's going to be poor if it's two star it's going to be good if it's three it's going to be perfect but then if you find that three-star animal then you have to get a clean kill and as long as you like kill it with either kill it or down it with one shot you're usually good as long as you hit it like in the heart or in the head uh, if it's, you know, if you hit it in the heart and it runs off, it'll usually fall over and then you just stab it while it's on its side and then it's still a perfect uh, pelt. Bow is usually kind of the cleanest way, but like if you've got a bolt action or rolling block, you can usually take out most anything with one shot to the head. And also get that legendary deer trinket. Uh, also, uh, you kill the legendary buck, take it to the trapper or the, no, take it to a fence and it'll... Um, It'll basically help you salvage a kill that's not quite clean. So you're talking about carrying kill. the whole deer with you as opposed to gutting it there on the land? Or? Ah, no, you, you can still just skin it there where it lie. But like, if you have this trinket and you kill uh, an animal with maybe two shots instead of one, you can still get a perfect pelt from it if you have this trinket. So it kind of helps out. How much, how much progression did you need to get before you were starting to get perfect pelts because i i have aside from the one story mission that forced you into doing mm -hmm. some hunting i have skipped over this almost entirely uh honestly it's really just about finding the locations with the better versions of this animal so if you look on the map obviously if you get the the legendary animal map which you get pretty early or can get pretty early you'll see the markers where those are but like, if you look on your actual game map, uh, there will be little icons for different creatures. So like rabbits or bison or whatever. And the areas where those are, 
tend to have like a higher level of, of deer or fox or whatever you're hunting. And uh, you can kind of go from there. So it's really just about finding those three star versions of those creatures. Okay. It's not a, it's not a leveling thing where it's like, no, the first time you go out hunting, it's only ones. And then you eventually no. work your way up. It's just, as far it's, as I know, that's not the case. It's just okay, about that's, going to an area where the good ones are. That's good. Cause that, that, that seemed like something that was really daunting to me because everything else kind of grows in intensity uh, mm -hmm. as far as these missions go. And so that was uh, not a, not a deterrent, but just it, I've been finding myself not smelling the roses along the way. Right. Like, I gotcha. like you had your fishing quest and you, you mm -hmm. can, you can fish like crazy if you want to, you have your, you can take the gang out. One of the one of the things that, that they were talking about is that you kind of have this camp as a as a collective gang, and you're you're separate. You know, you're not in the major city. You're sort of a little ways off. You're trying to stay away from uh, the law, the Pinkertons, uh, who are the ones who are kind of after you for whatever happened in Blackwater. And and you know, really, like we don't even really know what happened. Right. Arthur is kind of asking everybody. He's like what happened back there and it's just you kind you, you get inklings of oh it went bad and uh, but you don't really know yeah what, uh what truly was supposed to go down or what did go down uh, which again kind of brings this air of mystery over the over the whole game and the gang and what what they were trying to accomplish but the um the camp itself hey you know you've got the guy like you said there's the one who's the there's the cook and there's the who, the cook slash butcher there's the the uh, guy who eventually can take in you know skins and things like that and then there's individuals throughout basically all of these thieves and these outlaws are supposed to be contributing back to the back to the camp and some of the ways of doing that is to actually go out on missions with them. So you can say, hey, Charles, let's go rob this homestead or something like that. Did, have you guys taken advantage of those missions? Do you find it's fun bonding with some of those characters? Or have you guys kind of ignored? I've ignored it, which may be to the detriment of my camp. May also be to the detriment of my Arthur. But uh, have you guys done any of that? I've done... Um... When I started off the game, I started playing it like you musty with um, just strictly just doing the story because I was a fan of the story. But probably after about the third chapter in, I decided to start uh, seeking out more side missions. I, I started, um, I, I wasn't enjoying some of the side missions at first. So it kind of like put, put me off of them doing it right away. And I, I also just didn't want to rob homes of you. So it's kind of like, you know, I guess with my character of Arthur, I was just like, nah, I'm going to keep raising my um my good level up as opposed to my bad level site so kind of st stopped avo started avoiding those um but i just i ended up starting to seek a, if i see a question mark someone you need to talk to is in this area i started heading off to those areas started doing because i was like you know i, I want to see this world more uh my map i want to open up the map a little bit more so there are side missions that like will affect the ending of the game where it, it will change how the story ends if you do one by your actions in these side missions too and i was kind of checking last night to figure out why you know i, I found out that this one thing happens and i don't want to spoil it for anybody because i beat the game last night i wanted to see i didn't know that there was a different out outcome for this i thought it was just 
premeditative. This is going to happen in the game. Turns out that can not, that can be completely different and change. And it's all by one decision you have to do on one of these side missions for, uh, for Strauss going to collect money for somebody. It's all about what you choose in that mission, how it changes the game or not. So changes the ending, if you will. So little stuff like that. And then I remember this kind of came like a discussion with like with friends sitting down for supper, having a beer, talking at the bar and we're all playing this game. And my one buddy goes to me, uh, Oh, did you do this one mission? Like, no, I never heard about that. So, and he's like, Oh yeah, this happens and everything. So I'm like, okay, well I, I want to find this mission. So I ended up finding like a Wikipedia and trying to find where this mission is because that sounded like a lot of fun and turns out it was great. So I ended up like, actively seeking out some of these side missions that are not really like tied into the such serious story, but they're fun and goofy. I'll, I'll give an example right here. There's a UFO sighting in this game where you can trigger it. It's not a side mission, but you can trigger this whole story. You find this house with all these skeletons in it. And, and it's just, you see one of them's wearing kind of not like, I don't know, like a priest, like, like towel on it's, on his head or like a, a, just an outfit. It's like, a, uh, and you see there's a letter saying like our souls will be coming back in the year 2000 and we're being lifted to the skies and everything. And the big green light will come down at the second hour of the morning. So like, of course, then you, you put, you know, sit, uh, you have to come back at night. So like, I would just set my campfire down, come back at night. And then if you walk in the house, you hear like the you know the spaceship noise and a green light comes over the building. I'm like, whoa, this now stuff like that was. <laughs> it's it's like it says well, these it's it's off the beaten path, and it was fantastic. I, I was little side missions I started enjoying more where I was like, you know, I'm gonna seek some of the stuff out. Um, maybe it's just because some of the early ones didn't bring me in, where it was kind of a like maybe it was a detriment to to the, to me wanting to do them. Um, also getting robbed fairly early in the game too by people on the roads like maybe you want to not help people on the roads come later in the game you know here i am stopping anytime i see a question mark or someone asking for help on the road basically so yeah i had a, a last night i had a bad uh encounter there i i pulled off on the side of the road there was a tent and there was somebody screaming from inside the tent and i i came up and i peeked in the tent and as i peeked in he came out with a gun and then another guy came up behind me and they robbed me of my money. And then I proceeded to end them and <laughs> took my money back. Yeah. It's, it, it seems like there are times when you can seek out things and there are times when things get uh, the times where things seek out you, Jake, you have a really good story that you brought up last week on Polykill that I, about uh, just a, mundane thing as setting up your camp yeah so like uh obviously like i said i've been especially in chapter two like i i was in chapter two for probably 20 hours uh in terms of story just doing a lot of hunting just you know constantly hunting and um took it to the trapper kind of in the uh i guess the northeast section of the map above valentine and uh i got out there pretty late so i was like i'll just set up camp here um, fix some food, have a cup of coffee, go to bed, uh, and then just head out in the morning, set up my camp. And when you set up your camp, there's just, it's not really a cutscene. It's just kind of like this passing of time, like fade to black moment. Um, and then it sort of fades back into you sitting by your campfire. Well, I, 
did such, and then I noticed that like when it was fading back in, something looked a little different. And it was zooming out from the back of my head. And as it did, I saw a gun to my head in the middle of the woods. And I was like, what is going on? And I see this guy, he's to my right, um, you know, overalls, scraggly hair, kind of like very gangly features. And then from behind him walks this other guy and uh, basically proceeds to tell me that I shouldn't be in this area. I shouldn't camp in this land. I should get out, blah, 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 blah. Um, I haven't encountered this group before or since. Uh, I imagine they're kind of in the northern part of the map, but they're the Murphy Brood. And uh, kind of in the northeastern area, because yeah. after after you tell the story, it happened to me like the next day. So, oh, well, OK. So, yeah, anyway, they uh, threatened me and then um, I stood up at my campfire and then antagonized them as they were getting on their horses and then shot them both in the back because uh, <laughs> you don't threaten Arthur Morgan. But, yeah, I mean, it was just one of those moments where, like, just completely dynamic, did not expect it. I was not expecting anything like this to happen. It was literally, I was going to complete the transaction and go to bed. And then, you know, I get, you know, held up at my own campsite in the middle of the woods. So this was just one of those really surprising things that happened in the game that I just haven't really experienced in, in other games without it feeling like it's planned or part of the bigger story. This is just like a small event that just happened. And I, uh, I love that. Yeah, it's, it's pretty wild that they've gone to such a length to have these things that just they don't feel they don't feel scripted but somebody had to somebody had to come up with this and uh and that i think is really cool one thing i wanted to mention and i wanted to to mention and say hi to uh, our friend of the show dean from round two gaming uh he was talking about in the forum some of his experiences uh, he talked about dinosaur bone hunting and i have no idea how that thread even comes up because i i just um uh, he was showing off this uh you got some like fancy new sort of horned helmet deal out of it, which is just, it's, it's crazy how all these little pieces coming together. Uh, and, and I know Ryan, you've, you've run into a group that I don't think any of us have run into and, and it doesn't seem like a lot of people are talking about them even being in the game. You want to talk about that briefly or, or, or was that just whispered be in there? Are you referring to the Ku Klux Klan? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, that was definitely one of those surprise ones that uh, I found out like why I saw it too. Cause apparently there's more than one event. It happens three times. Um, so I stumbled upon it where I'm trying to remember exactly where it is. Cause it's just outside of a town, but um, you'll be, if you're riding through at night, you'll see like fire coming from the woods. So if you start approaching this, you know, fire uh, or you, you see, torches essentially is what it is um so you, you start creeping in, in the woods and you'll see that there's a clan rally going on and they're gonna light a cross and essentially they're like i think introducing new members but they end up starting themselves on fire that leads to another event then because i was just like wait a minute what is this going on here and i guess i want to say like 1899 because I, I believe that's when the story takes place it is yeah and i think that's kind of when the start of the ku klux klan takes place so they're having their little chant and rally. And then I, I, I found out there's three other events where then after it, there's another event. Cause I had to look this up because I couldn't find any more about inf information about this. Um, there's another event where something badly happens. And then eventually there's a third event where if you stumble upon them at night, 
there's like nobody showing up and they're like the hell with this and they just throw all their gears down and this walk away so <laughs> so it's a little little stuff like 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 that i think it was fairly interesting they don't glorify them in any way they make them look terrible by looking stupid which is appropriate but um yeah, there's, I don't know, there's so many great little side missions. I, I saw the dinosaur lady. I have no idea, though, how to, because you stumble upon this lady asking for help, and she's discovered um, whatever, a dinosaur bone. She says she does this for a living, and she explains to Arthur what dinosaurs are. And from there, like, she says, like, oh, if you find uh, any dinosaur bones, let me know. So I can collect it. You'll be rewarded. This is what I do. Uh, there's other people like that. There's a guy who smokes cigarettes nonstop where he does it because he collects the trading cards that comes with cigarettes mm -hmm. and he pays, you know, he's, he tells you, Oh, they're worth lots of money. So along the way you will find cigarette cards and you know, if he, if he, if he doesn't have them, then he'll pay you for them. But little stuff like that. I, I still, I wish I knew how to, I, I mean, I guess I'm at the guide search this one up because I have no idea how to fight dinosaur bones and I'm sure there's a way to do it. It's just, I've yet to figure that out. Yeah, I, I couldn't imagine being the one responsible for trying to build a wiki around this game. Like, that's just the the prospect of that is daunting. It's funny, we've we've talked a lot about side missions. Did you guys have any other side missions that you've run into that you thought were a ton of fun? Or maybe ones that, say, people who haven't played the game yet should try to seek out, aside from the stuff we've already mentioned? Josh, did you have one? Yeah. There's this uh, circus uh, troop that has crashed in the woods, and you can uh, help him find the creatures of his circus, which are usually, I don't know if I want to spoil this, but it's it, it's it comes down to some hilarious results. And mm -hmm. then, yeah, and um, uh, it's near roads. So I would say if you see some stranger missions around there, you'll probably find this mission. But I just had a good time with that one, got a good laugh out of it. And also, I did see the KKK in my uh, run, too. It was two dudes trying to set up a cross, and the cross fell over on them and both and killed them as they were trying to set, set it up. So they're, like, trying to st stick it down, and then it just falls over on both of them and kills them both. I thought that was pretty funny. But yeah, I actually saw them the night after we discussed it in the chat. <laughs> I was just riding through, and I saw all these torches in the woods. I was like, uh-uh. So I just uh, grabbed a stick of dynamite and threw it right in the middle of all of them. And gained gained honor points for it, so it was a, a nice uh, <laughs> nice of Rockstar to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing, one thing, I, Josh, I think you forgot to mention is that it's the greatest woman, you know, tamer yes. of, uh, of yes. all time, right? Yes. For animals, because in uh, his partner, you know, spoilers, his partner is hoping to be the second greatest female tamer of animals yeah. of all time. So. <laughs> Uh, that was a fun one. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. Uh, have you guys encountered the guy? Uh, I haven't really found any of these, and that's why I'm curious if you guys have. But I found a guy uh, who's interested in cave paintings, and he wants me to go catalog those. And there's apparently 10 of them, and I have no idea where to start with that. So, wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah you haven't have to find that guy yet. So. That's the first time I heard of it. <laughs> um, Since so, so while we were talking about like groups that only a few of us have found, there's another group, and I I don't I kind of hesitate to bring it up, but I think it's really cool. But there's apparently a type of creature that you can find in Sandini that you would maybe find in a uh, I don't know maybe a, a spooky graveyard. Have you guys heard about this? No. Okay. Please All share. Right. 
Uh, well, apparently there are vampires in Saint Denis, and you can go hunt them. Interesting, because yeah. what? So Saint Denis is essentially supposed to be like New Orleans, right? Right. Yeah, that's so the vibe it makes sense with it. Anne Rice and. Because like I heard somebody at my campfire say, I've heard there are people in Saint Denis that drank blood, and I was like, what? And then, um, you know, after visiting there, I was like, huh, this would be the perfect spot for a vampire. So I have no idea what it entails. I just I think they're there. That's all I know. The crumbs, the breadcrumbs are yeah. are there. I uh, I came across a guy yesterday, last night when I was playing, and he he was in pain on the side of the road and he was like they're in me they're in me the darkness Ooh. and i was like, and so <laughs> he, he kept muttering the name of the the place that he was from and so i threw him on the back of my horse i, I brought him back to his place to his people dropped him off on the on the porch and the guy's like i don't have anything to give you we're we're rich in in friendship we're rich in friendship and love but I, I, we have nothing to give you and then the guy attacked me and then i had to you know, subdue him and I, I think i i think i may have knocked him out and they they pulled him in i don't know what's going on there uh That's i don't crazy. know i don't know if that has anything to do with this or if he's just mentally unstable it, uh, it is it, it is and it's something that's effectively affecting their town I, I found that guy and there's there are missions to go with it and it's 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 a fun one basically so nice i haven't done that one yeah i did find if has anyone found I hate to get just going on about this, but uh, I left Valentine one time and went under the train uh, trestle and found a body hanging. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I haven't, I haven't found anything else from that, but along the uh, cliff there was uh, written look upon my works. And like, there's this like part of a map stuck in a severed head. So I'm can't wait to, to figure out what that's about. So many little stuff. And the funny thing is none of these are marked on the map. Yeah. None of it's on the map and none of this has really much to do with the main story. And so, yeah, I think some of the side missions are actually probably more like the, like some of the highlights for me for the game, to be honest with you. And I mean, the story is great, but like the side missions are, it's kind of like, you know, that salt and pepper on a steak essentially, you know, it's uh, uh, one, one I could think of before, before I ran away. It's like, there's one where you, uh, you go into a bar and there's this woman drinking with a pinhead. If you know what a pinhead is, you know it's you know kind of a, a circus freak person, if you will. They they're looking for the Magnifico, the magician, I guess his name or something like that, and they can't find him. He's left them, and he's part of their act. They're a three person act, so you have to go seek him out. And I thought that was a fun side mission too. Nice, so many, so many, so. I want to kind of talk about the 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 gang and some of their some of the people who are antagonistic toward them because uh, that seems to be a huge motivator for both Dutch and the actions that he takes. Some of this also drives when you can and can't stay in an area anymore. So I want to talk about one of the big people is the O'Driscoll family, which seems to be the the big feud with the Vanderlyn gang and the O'Driscolls, and they basically hate each other. Um, Goddamn O'Driscoll's. <laughs> and, and, and you kind of, throughout the story, you eventually kind of uncover, you, the, the uh, player, finally uncover what happened or, or why Dutch feels the way that he does about this, this group. And it's, you know, it's 
it's tough. It's tough to kind of hear this, but it makes it makes sense. And these are kind of the groups that that are that are sort of regionally located to some extent. Did you guys have any have any good run-ins with with them, or do you want to talk a little bit later as we get into our uh, as you get into the the Greys and the and the the Braithwaites? And I think my my funniest encounter with O'Driscolls is I was hunting as I do. And uh, I basically had, had herded some deer into like an open area, uh, let them settle down. I was like, this is good. I can see them. I was still pretty early in the game, so I didn't have any like high-powered rifles. Had a bow. Uh, hit one of the deer, and it ran behind like this brushy area. But I could still kind of see like the top of its head. So I uh, drew back my bow, fired, missed, but apparently behind this brushy area, there was an O'Driscoll camp and I killed one of the O'Driscolls. <laughs> had no idea they were back there. And it just, you know, ignited a firestorm. And, you know, just one of those moments where I just, you know, laughed at how funny this game can be because I had no idea they were back there just trying to go out and do something mundane like kill a deer and ended up uh, in a firefight. So, yeah. But I, I, did enjoy some of the earlier interactions with the Adriscals when they would try to hold you up at bridges or uh, tell you that you couldn't come into a certain area. But as a whole, I, I am just now getting sort of introduced to Colm O'Driscoll because it's a name that you hear uh, a lot before you actually meet him. And uh, so far he's living up to the, to the hype. So interested, interested to see where that goes uh, in late game. It's funny. I, I I heard that there is a person who actually is named Colmo Driscoll on Twitter, and he's been getting like bombarded <laughs> with hate from people. There, I, I I think it actually sparked this like mini like thing where like you just have this string of other people who have popped up who'd be like, yeah, I I feel you, and it, I can't even remember a good example of just one of those names where it's like, wow, it sucks to have it sucks to have a video game character named after. <laughs> uh, named after you and then have them be, you know, like universally hated. So I saw a little bit, a little bit of that going on comedically, but yeah. So, so the, the O'Driscolls, I, uh, they've set up ambushes. I've, I've been ambushed a few times as, as I'm just riding on the road and uh, I've had a cart, like a, a cart that's on fire, just come right across the like Whoa. road and hit a tree in front of me. And, and I've uh, had to quickly kind of, it was one of those times where I was just sort of cruising along, no big deal, no big deal. And you know, they think to they think to throw this in, in front of your path, and it's just like you got to quickly make sure you grab the right gun and uh, and deal with that. The I want to talk about once you kind of leave this first area, Valentine, or you know what? Let's talk about there's one mission in Valentine that I think we we really should talk about. We should Josh, talk you, about that one. You already alluded to the mission with Lenny, so why don't we let you kind of introduce that that whole mission? Which honestly, <laughs> I loved it. Go, you go. All of it. <laughs> yeah, I feel I feel like a lot of people are gonna are reaching that same uh, like agreement about that mission. Basically, you're, it's pretty early on in the game, so you don't know much of the characters, but he's like, "Hey, Lenny, let's go get a drink," and then. Should I just go into it? I guess we yeah. could. Oh yeah, go for it. We're, I right. mean, we we, we we said we'll go up, we'll go up to like chapter four. So okay, um, yeah, but true. If you so maybe give us five minutes if you haven't played the mission with 
uh, Lenny, <laughs> where you go to Valentine with him. Maybe skip ahead of a couple minutes or something. Uh, yeah, but basically you go to Valentine with him. And uh, a lot of shenanigans ensue. You start drinking, and it kind of goes from you got warped vision, and you're talking to Lenny, and it just as it goes on, it gets a little bit more and more belligerent to the point where you just go into first person mode, and you're like yelling at people, "Where's Lenny? Lenny, where are you?" And like it's just ridiculous. Um, and then there's a point in the mission where you look at people's faces and they all look like Lenny. Everything else is all blurry. And then you're like tapping somebody on the shoulder and they turn around and it's Lenny's face. You're like, Lenny. He's like, who the hell are you? <laughs> you know, stuff like that. And like, uh, it, it just kind of goes off the rails. Uh, it cuts out multiple times and every single time you cut back in, there's something else ridiculous happening. Um, there's a point where you could choose to not drown somebody. You're just randomly drowning somebody outside. You can either drown them or not. <laughs> and that's kind of taken into account. And um, I feel like this mission kind of just can go off the rails either way. You could either end up in jail or end up in a random field somewhere. Cause I, I, I had this conversation with somebody cause I ended up in jail at the end of everything. And he's like, yeah, I was just kind of in the wilderness. I don't, I just without my horse, I had to run and go get my horse. And I'm just like, oh, well, I was in jail. So but yeah, it this this game, uh, a lot of people were complaining about like, you know, it's slow, methodical. And I, I was kind of feeling that at the beginning. And then I got this mission and I was just like, OK, this was great. And I think it's it's kind of like a good early mission to kind of get you a feel for, oh, these characters are actually developed and we can go a little w wild and wacky here and there. So I, I really like that. So. Yeah, yeah I, I fully enjoyed about how long that went on because I really expected it to cut off multiple times, but it just kept going. You just kept blacking <laughs> out and kept coming back. And yeah, I, I was one of those that woke up in the wilderness without my hat and my horse and had to run all the way back to town. <laughs> and I was in the middle of nowhere. Um, so yeah, fully, fully enjoyed that mission. Yeah, I think I was trying to escape from the cops and I tripped on a fence, like you had to jump <laughs> a fence, but if you don't time it right, you, you trip and, and they, they take you, uh, yeah, they take you okay. away. Or at least that's where I got, that's where I got taken away. Yeah. That's great. Even all the barmaids have, have Lenny's face. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just the voice actor really kills it in that part. Just Lenny, Lenny. I just just the way he says it. He, he, he sounds belligerent, which is just great. I love it. It's one of those where you actually have to press the button to call out for him. Yeah, which calls back to games like Heavy Rain, and maybe this can be the new the new example of that of that mechanic. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty. That it's a good tone setter for the fact that this game isn't. Like up to that point, like like you said, it's been you've kind of been you're doing a whole lot of introducing. You haven't really had a ton of just sheer fun, uh, and then that mission kind of opens that up. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a blast. Uh, that is a really good time. Um, now, one of the things is as you you know as with as with uh, an outlaw gang has a tendency to do things kind of go south in an area and it kind of forces you to, to move along. And so leaving, leaving Valentine, um, you end up heading to this, uh, this other area, which seems to have no knowledge of who you are as a gang, but they, uh, they are looking for 
deputies. And so they end up deputizing Dutch and Arthur as the new police in the area. And you come to find that there's this ongoing feud between these two families. And so you've got uh, the Greys and the Braithwaites um, who have a mutual hate for each other and both claim to be rich beyond uh, imagination. What did you guys feel like getting into this this section? Like, what was it like to be all of a sudden put into like a position of power? Ryan, did you, uh, what was your kind of take when all of this started happening? I mean, I thought it was kind of funny because you essentially, you help the police because you, you notice one of your friends is arrested in the police car, right? Who's a part of your gang, but he's, he's always in and out where you see him and then he leaves, you see him and then he leaves. Uh, and you see him, Trelawney. he's asking for Was that? Trelawney. I believe so. The actor yeah, it was. Guy. And he, for, I believe, so he asks you to free him. And what happens is when talking to the police, trying to figure out what your friend did, that you find out it's called that the three other people he's locked up with escape. Cops ask for your help to chase him down. Dutch tells Arthur to go get the one, you know, the three on there, stop him. So you, you chase him down on a train and eventually you want to take all three in because they want them. They, I believe they want them to hang. So they don't want you to kill them. They just want you to knock them out and, you know, hog time if you can. Upon doing that, that, you know, they say, well, thanks for helping us. And Dutch sweet talks to the sheriff, sweet talks him into making you part of the, the, the police department for that town. And then you end up discovering the gray and the, the was it the Braithwaites? Braithwaites, yeah. Mm-hmm. Braithwaites. And I I personally like that part more, a little bit more like diving into the family's like history. I, you know, there's a kind of a Romeo and Juliet story going on because one of the daughters loves one of the sons from that family and they want to run away together. But you ultimately end up like resorting to your old ways as a gang, basically. And you, Rob, uh, a moonshine card, I believe, for the Braithwaites. And it kind of starts your whole like relationship with them, essentially, where Hosea has to go and sweet talk Catherine Braithwaite into it. And eventually it does eventually goes bad for you guys down the road where uh, John Marston's son ends up getting kidnapped by them. And then that starts kind of like a little mini war between the Braithwaites and the uh, the Vanderlane gang. So um, that I thought that mission was was fantastic. I love how it takes, I don't know, at least at least for me, it took place at night. I don't know if that's like determined like it has to take place at night or if it's on the clock, if you will. Because sometimes, you know, it doesn't matter what time of day, you know, it's it just seems to go like that. For me, it was at night, and I thought with, I don't know, I thought it was great how like it kind of came through with um You eventually burned a Braithwaite's house down after killing all her sons, and essentially just leaving her for basically in shambles. And I believe she just runs back into the house, essentially on fire. I, I, if I do remember correctly, I don't know that she. I, I, I think she survives. That. I think she survives, but she's just yeah, she's just this husk of a person at that point because everything's been taken from her. I I fully enjoyed like the cinematic aspect of that because like when you are because for me it was also at dusk. You know, you've got the most people together in the gang doing one thing that you've had you had more people together doing one thing than you've had previously. So there's like seven of you or eight of you riding up this road, just surrounded by these massive trees, this big house, you know, ominously at the end of the drive. And, you know, the windows are kind of glowing from the inside light. And and it just kind of made me think, man, this looks like a big monster at the end of this road. And then you have the confrontation and the, 
the gunfight and you're just, you know, it just feels like absolute chaos because you're all these grimy outlaws kicking in doors and killing people and it just feels um, just really cinematic and um, yeah, I, I really loved that mission. I think that was the high point for me was that that, that confrontation showdown. There's yeah. some there's some real great shots. Like you, you were saying, you've got the, the the posse rolling in, and they I don't know how perfectly some of those camera angles are set, but it's like you know I've seen pictures on on Twitter and stuff, and it's like it's like this is not a cutscene. Like this is right. just happening, and it just looks magnificent. Yeah, there's a few of those. There's the there's one where they're on horseback. There's one where they're all walking in. Yeah, the uh, walk up is great. Yeah. Yeah, there's some there's some really like it's almost like they tried to funnel the camera to want to do that. They're like we're gonna give them we're gonna give them that 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 uh, reservoir dogs shot here, you know that, that 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 kind of thing. And that was that was fun. Now now you come to find that the Braithwaites have have sold sold or given John's son to uh, somebody else in Saint Denis. So Jake, do you want to? Since you're the one who just recently got there, I kind of want to let you introduce maybe the big, although you had been there prior, like the beginning of chapter four, maybe up to the point where you are. Uh, yeah, sure. So like I, I did not get terribly far into chapter four. Uh, as I previously stated, I'd been to Saint-Denis before, but you kind of get a slight reintroduction to it with Dutch because after you, you essentially move camp away from the Braithwaite and Gray area, to a place just outside of San Denis, which is the, the biggest city and kind of like the Southeast side of the map, um, which once again is modeled to be a new Orleans style. So it's, um, you know, turn of the century. So you've got a few motorized cars, you've got some trolleys, you've got still a lot of horses, but big manor houses, some industry. So it's just this jarring contrast to like uh, the rest of the environment that you've been in up until now. But the story, as the story goes, there is, um, a um, a character who now basically retains Jack uh, Johnson. Brontane. What's that? I believe his name is Angelo Bronte. That is correct. And you uh, you first meet him, and he's there's this like this really hostile standoff, and then the tension breaks, um, and then basically you know as as video games go, you are asked to do a favor for him before he will release Jack to you. So that was. Um, I, I completed that mission, which is basically grave robbers out in the cemetery. So you go out there at night with John and take care of them. And then uh, they go back and you get Jack. And that is kind of where I left off. Um, I didn't get much beyond that. I sort of picked up my pace for, in the story to kind of get to this point for the uh, podcast. But now I'm going to like apply the brakes a little bit on the story and get back to hunting crocodiles and iguanas and stuff. Because now I'm in the swamp. But yeah, I think one interesting thing about Saint Denis, and I think mechanically, it works well to sort of sell the idea of how the characters feel about civilization. Is like when you're in those cities, it feels cramped and tight, and it's smoke and, and it's hazy, and there's people everywhere, and you can't hardly ride your horse through the street without bumping into somebody or somebody saying something to you. And it's kind of frustrating at times just trying to move around in the city. But I feel like that's intentional to sort of make you feel what the characters feel in contrast to being 
out on the plains or like in the mountains like they are used to. And you kind of get the sense that uh, that, that was kind of intentional to make that feel cramped and, and difficult as compared to just riding on the open range. And uh, I really like that contrast. Yeah, you can you can definitely tell that that Arthur feels out of his element. No one, very few people are walking around with with weapons on them. Uh, you get a lot of uh, men and women who are just going about their day, and uh, yeah, it's there's. I do love the sound that they've done for the city, though. Just even the 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 cobblestone uh, streets with the with the horses and uh, just just the hustle and bustle that's going on there. Uh, and I'm sure there are areas and, and corners and uh, of that city that I have yet to see because I've been going toward those yellow markers and it's like, okay, let's, let's figure out what's going on with, with this or, you know, what is, what does Bronte want now? That kind of thing. But yeah, I've, I, the story, uh, you've got a lot out of you, Jake. And I, you know, I, I, I have a feeling that you'll enjoy where, where things go, but is totally justified to, to pump the brakes there as I've wanted to tell myself to do a few times, but I just, I just keep muscling ahead on that. Did uh, Josh or Ryan, did you guys have any comments on San Denis up to that point or, or is there anything else that we've missed uh, aside from, I know we didn't mention Leviticus Cornwall, who's kind of had a, he was, kind of the reason why things went bad in Valentine and really, well, that was the bank robbery that went bad in Valentine, but there, you know, you basically robbed from his train and then he has ties to those, to the Pinkertons, which is the sort of big law enforcement. That's akin to like the, the feds. Yeah. For me, and this is just slightly probably the next mission for you. Jake it's like Angela then eventually becomes friends with you guys and he's like you know guys you gotta get yourself gussied up here a little bit you know spend some money on yourselves and buy yourself some nice suits and he eventually invites you to like the mayor's house for a party and you get to meet more people of the town you get introduced to a bunch of the people and I think working for the mayor was is kind of even though he's kind of a he's not a good person but there are things that like like the missions he has to do basically he, you know he makes Arthur like his muscle and uh, I, I thought like he's kind of a character himself I can't remember his name off the tongue just he was the mayor of San Denis and I, I can't remember if he's been there for a long time like he's been there for like 10 years or so but he's kind of corrupt I think so it's it's one of those ones where he's like oh yeah yeah, yeah don't don't worry about it we're just we're doing this for the best of the town and uh, like that that is just at least like that essentially opens up the town a little bit more with some more of the characters. So I don't know. It's a little bit, I thought that was great. So, well, it seems like, it seems like that's an over overlying theme is that everyone seems to be above board and there's some flavor of corruption in there. That's, uh, that's causing them to, uh, to, to do things the way that they do. So we've kind of alluded to, I, I just brought up weapons as something that really you don't see a lot of in, in Saint Denis. I'm curious for you guys if you have a sort of a favorite. One of the really cool things about this is the level of customization that, that you get in both your apparel and your weaponry, and even down to like the little pieces of your, your horse's saddle and, and all of that. Do you guys have like special elements that you've incorporated into your 
your version of Arthur that you that you really like, and it's like if I'm all things being equal, this is the thing that I want in you know on me at all times. Josh, let's let's have you go. Okay, we're just talking about weapons or just the all around all all of it. Like the, let's just talk <clears throat> about cu- customization as a whole. Okay. Uh, are there yeah are there things that you've done that you're particularly proud of, or that you you know you're like this yep. this is what makes my Arthur special. Okay, uh, his hair. That's the number one thing. For me, as the story evolves and changes, and uh, what I feel like Arthur's mindset is during that time period is like I, what I want his hair to look like. So when he goes to Saint Denis, I cut it all down. A buzz cut, fade, perfectly uh, shaved, got like the nicest dapper suit I could find. And I'm like, okay, I'm in this town. This is my Arthur right now. He's, this is his mindset. I'm going to be part of the city folk. I'm going to look like this. And then later on in the story, some stuff happens. I won't spoil that. But I'm like, oh, Arthur is a little more down in the dumps. He's not going to be shaving anymore. He's going to put on his rebel outfit, and he's just going to look all scraggly and, you know, like uh, I'm, I'm out in the wilderness and going to look like unkempt and kind of uh, mean, I guess. And um, when it comes to weapons, I do prefer just the regular uh, repeaters. Most of the time, uh, that's pretty much what I fall back to. But it is really fun, which they have the mechanic where you can have two revolvers at the same time, which I find like one of my favorite things is pull both re- revolvers out, hit Deadeye. Which basically, if you guys don't know what Dead Eye is, I guess we haven't explained it yet. We slow down time, and you can like tick mark different parts of the people's bodies, and uh, you know have that dual revolver and just oh sorry, and um, yeah, and I I think that's a lot of fun. And I also like the semi-auto shotgun, which I never got through the story, but I had I I saw it in the shop, and I was like, man, I got to try this out, and I thought that was a lot of fun for more close quarters combat. So. Yeah, and uh, I like to make my, all my guns black and then have an or- ornamental engraving on them with gold inlay. That's just how I have all my guns. So, yeah, <laughs> got really particular when it came to that. So, yeah, nice. a, lot of, a lot of fun customization in this game. Yeah, for me, I um, in general, uh, I keep my Schofield uh, revolver at all times, and I tend to, well... I've, I've played with it a little bit, but I landed on blue steel for everything with a uh, gold hammer, gold trigger, and then gold filigree uh, inlay on it. So it looks pretty sharp, but I've always tried uh, kind of like Josh is to try to um, match my look with kind of what I'm doing. Shortly after getting to Saint Denis, I, I cleaned up, got my hair cut. My beard was as long as it could be without like applying oil to it. So it was like, a, I guess, six of eight. So it was pretty long. So I trimmed it down into a nice uh, Van Dyke and then got myself a hat uh, that is more of like a city folk hat. So basically I was trying to make him look like uh, Doc Holliday from Tombstone. So nice. that's that was that was my goal. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty close to it, I think. So, but yeah, uh, I did get the semi-automatic shotgun, use that in close quarter stuff but tend to stick with my, my repeaters, but I do have very fancy holsters and I've had those for a while for my, uh, my pistols. I do have a volcanic in my offhand though. Uh, like that one a lot. Yeah. For myself, I, I, I find myself using the repeater the most when it comes to like, I guess the giant gunfights, but my favorite gun to use is eventually I got a repeater shotgun 
but the, the only thing about it is it seems like shotgun ammo is really hard to find in this game while repeaters everywhere because everyone's got repeaters. So, like, I find myself having to go to the gun stores and buying up almost all their shotgun ammo because I was using up a lot of shotgun ammo because it's so it's so overpowerful just un unleashing a shotgun on people. And I had to automatically – I got to a point in the game when I had just so much money and I just figured I, I spent it out a majority of it already on the camp. The camp's very well taken care of. Now it's time to treat myself here. So I, I just started my, uh, making the guns as like most powerful and accurate as possible, or everything got a, a scope on it or uh, a view on it. It all got rifled. They all got longed. You know, you can make them have a longer barrel on it. And then I made everything gold. All my all my weapons, I wanted to be gold. Just obnoxious. You know, it's you know, it's like it's just a way of saying like I have money. So it's like all my guns, every single one of them had to be gold. Everything on it had to be gold, with the exception of maybe like I guess like a the parts that have to be wood on you know the handles or something like that. But then if it was like a revolver or any kind of handgun, it had to have the pearl handle. It had to have so you know, and I get that from Cobra. From the Stallone movie Cobra, where he's got the pearl handles with the, with the, but he's got a Cobra on it. I didn't, I didn't add any like little signature engravings. I figured I wouldn't be able to see it myself when I'm riding along. And to me, that's the the big draw of it. Where I'm like, if I'm driving around and I accidentally picked up a new gun and I noticed that I don't have a gold gun on my back or in my my holster, that I have to quick stop, switch it out so I have my gold, so I know where I'm at now. I know that's probably not the smartest thing in Bandle because, you know, probably make you, st you know, stick out, but this is a video game and I want to be obnoxious if you will. So, yeah, uh, I, yeah. I, for mostly for Arthur's customization, I guess maybe when I went to San, San Denis, I like, I, I made myself look a little fancy there and that, and that's even before meeting the mayor. I, I just figured I had the money and I found this, you know, shop for tell myself. I was like, All right, I'm going to make myself look nice and clean and for a change. And, but I end up just finding myself just going back to, I guess, my regular gear. You know, I, I don't know. I just I kind of preferred it because I knew I was an outlaw. So I just, uh, I'm just going to go back to the classic look. But as long as I have my gold guns, I was happy. So that's great. That's great. Yeah. My, before I talk about my Arthur, I, I do want to mention that, that our, our, uh, our Twitter account, Cartridge Club NA, had tweeted out earlier in the month and asking people to kind of show off pictures of their, of their, uh, Arthur so far. And so we had a few people who shared that. I know, if I recall, Dean from at round underscore two underscore gaming, he he went with Kratos. So he did the uh, entirely shaved head and like beard as big as he could get. Uh, so he and I think he was referring, yeah, he gave him the Kratos look. And I think he named his horse boy. Um, <laughs> Does he? I need to know if he throws tomahawks constantly because that, that would be, be amazing. That yeah. would... <laughs> Did you guys? What about the horses? Did you guys? I haven't talked about my Arthur, but we'll get to horses in just a second. Uh, my Arthur, I tried to keep him as clean, close to clean shaven uh, as possible, and I really only let I let the story missions kind of dictate the clothing styles. I kind of just like the vest, the vest look that that i was going with one thing i found myself doing a lot is when i was in sort of these encounter areas if i took a guy out and their hat was on the ground and i didn't have one on my on my head i just picked up their hat and put their hat on and then if, like, i would just swap them out sometimes sometimes i just didn't like how it looked like you know there's 
one that looks kind of like a mounty cap. So it's got like four four divots on the top. Um, and it's just kind of, or like a, what's his name? The bear. Smokey the bear. It's a Smokey the bear hat. That's what I was thinking of. The, um, but yeah, I, I went through some customization on my weapons. I love the volcanic pistol. That's my, that's, and I, and I tried to make sure that I've got, cause they allow for multiple ammo types. I try to keep enough there so that it just naturally flows into the next one. If I exhaust the, the basic ammo, cause then that's that time where I need that extra little oomph. Um, but I have found to be getting by with that one pretty well. Targeting on on in this game is a little bit uh, generous with regard to like auto aim, and so it's usually like auto aim, and then I just give it a little flick up, uh, and that for the most part has been getting dealing headshots. And with that volcanic pistol, it it uh, it does the appropriate amount of damage, yeah. uh, and nice. sometimes triggers those. Uh, and you can turn this off. There's some moments where it does like the slow mo bullet cam, uh, showing you like what angle the bullet went in on the guy and just like this max like, ping three effect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And apparently depending on your, your honor alignment, those will change like the more outlaw or the more dishonorable you are. They focus more on the person you're killing and the damage that you've done. But if you're more honorable, it just focuses on you looking like a badass while taking the shot. Interesting. Yeah. That's cool. That's interesting. I get, I mean, I, I'm, I'm about 50, 50. So I, I guess yeah, I get a little of both. That's, that's interesting. See all, all these little little things that <laughs> little they can systems. think of, yeah, right. And the horses they have their own system too. You know, you've you've you have a bond that you form with with a horse, uh, and sometimes that comes to a a brutal end. But do you guys have? Uh, what'd you name your first horse? And uh, and what are you riding at this point? Um, so my first horse was a war horse, and I named it Ard after my friend's deaf dog, uh, because for a while it couldn't hear me whistle. So I just assumed it was deaf. Um, but I like that horse because it didn't spook easily in a firefight. It'd stick around. It could shoot things and blow up things around it. And it was fine because it was a war horse. Uh, but then, uh, in one of my early trips to San Denis before the story took me there, I witnessed a hold up, a person that was getting held up, died, the other person ran off. I killed the person that killed those people or killed that one. And then apparently that outlaw or that criminal had an Arabian. So I snagged her and formed a bond. So I've been writing the Arabian for a while and named her Hyacinth. And um, yeah, like she's super fast, but skittish. So like if, 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 uh, bad things start happening. She runs off and I have to go track her down, but she's super fast, super reliable. So yeah, that's what I'm reading. Josh, how about, how about you? What do you, what's your, uh, what's your horse game? Like <laughs> I, I started out with the war horse as well. I think a lot of people will because it's the free one in the stable at first. And, um, I named her Celeste. I just like the name. I don't know, but uh, that horse was good for a while, but I went and did the gunslinger missions and there's this one, where you're riding on a horse. I mean, I'm riding on a train trying to kill a guy. And uh, I failed out on the mission during one of those draws because the duels that you have to hold R2, this is the first one I ever did. So I didn't know how to do it. And I got killed instantly. And then uh, I spawned back in. My horse literally spawned underneath the train as it was on track and died and just got destroyed. And uh, it saved right after I did my mission too. So I lost that horse <laughs> and um, went and I bought a race horse in uh, I think I think it was Valentine and I named it 
Zeus because I figured, you know, it's a racehorse. It's going to be fast. I had that horse for a really long time. And then one day I quit playing the game for a couple days, came back and I was just on another horse. I don't know what happened to him. It glitched out somehow. So I was like kind of bummed out. I was like, oh, I had like a level four bond with him. And I'm like, oh, this kind of sucks. But, you know, I was like, I have a couple thousand here. Let's go buy the most expensive horse in San Denis. So I went there and I bought, an, uh, I think it's an elite horse and I named it Storm. So that's the one I've been riding so for, for a while now and it's been doing me pretty good and it's really fast. Uh, that that helps out with some of the longer traversal you have to do in the game. If you have a fast horse with a lot of stamina and you upgrade all that stuff, it's really worth it. So yeah, I've been enjoying that horse so far. <laughs> so. So I picked up a female racehorse. I bought the female racehorse at Valentine after selling that first horse. There's a mission where you have to take a horse in and try to sell it. So I, I was looking in the stable and I bought the female racehorse because I think she had the best speed. And I was like, all right, we'll just go with her. And I named her Moo. And the main reason why is because I could spend hours trying to think of a perfect name for this creature. But I decided just to go with something simple. And I just I thought, honestly, if there's a Simpsons bit when they're fa- making a movie where they're painting a horse to look like a cow, they're like, oh, so you don't use cows? No. And he's like, no, we paint horses. It, it looks it looks better on movies. So that's, that's the main reason why. It, it just popped in my head. And I was like, whatever. We can either spend here an hour thinking about this or we can get back on with the game. So I just named it Moo. And we went, I had Moo through the entire game. So Moo, Moo was the name of my horse. And I only had one horse. I just I decided to stay loyal to it, you know. I'm a loyal person, so as long as you don't betray me, <laughs> I'll, I'll stay stick with you. So one horse, move. There you go. Yeah. So I that same mission early on where they you know you can basically keep the one that you've got or you can you can sell him or I ended up initially going with a big that big like Clydesdale looking you know super beefy looking warhorse. I think that's the one that you you're talking about, Jake. And then. A couple days later, oh yeah, I named him. I named him Alex because my son wanted to name him Alex, uh, so we went with that. And uh, and I haven't been playing the game with him. Watching, it's just like at that moment, it was like, look, a horse. Uh, but something happened a few days later, and I'm I'm not sure if there was a an update to the to the game or what. But I had the same thing that you had, Josh, where all of a sudden, like. The horse was different. It went from being like this black and white speckled to just a brown, much skinnier racehorse, but the name was still the same. Yeah, that happened to me too. So yeah. I think I think that had to be a bug. Yeah. So either, either they cleaned something up, or maybe that maybe that horse wasn't supposed to be available as early as it was. I'm not sure why it happened, but I still have Alex, although I have picked up other horses because basically once you ride off with a horse it kind of becomes yours. Uh, and so like, I have a bunch of horses that are hanging out in the camp that are mine. None of them are named cause I've never taken them to a stable, but they are all there. So it's like, but I always go to the one that has my saddle and because he's, that horse has the things and he does, he does all right. So clearly with the, the with the horses, the weapons, the customization, there's a lot of stuff going on. And, you know, all of this sort of feeds into your ability to to move and, and other mechanics within the game. Now, I know some people express some frustration with the early game on how slow things felt. Were there other mechanics that you felt uh, were 
troublesome or maybe were a maybe they were too over simulated ryan do you do you have something there that you wanted to look at yeah you know this game has uh fantastic attention to detail but i think it goes a little bit too far sometimes in the game uh led to some of my frustration and i know i, I think jake you mentioned it on polykill but um one of my frustrations with the game actually was uh the the cocking of the gun for for the repeaters and I found myself in gunfights that I'd be like pulling the, you know, tapping it twice where I'm like, oh, this, you know, the, the cocking would throw me off and basically shooting, shooting at these people. Especially there's, there's some missions later on in the game when someone's driving, let's say like, what do you call it? One of those, um, uh, stagecoach. Stagecoach. Yeah. You, so you have to be the shot on a stagecoach and you're getting, you're getting chased at and shot at. And the person's driving the stagecoach and they tell you to take them out and, they they give you their whatever bolt action rifle as opposed to the one that you had so like you're you're trying to shoot at them and the the cocking's going to throw you off where like they're getting close and you're just you're trying to just fire the trigger and I'm just like it's throwing me off and all of a sudden you're missing on the second you know the second pull because you cocked and I don't know it's it's one of those ones where it makes the game a little bit harder because of the attention to detail where it, it's something I mean it's cool to think of but but it really kind of like it bothered me a few times throughout the game where I'm like ah. I really could have rather just wished that they just cocked it themselves as opposed to me having to do it. Stuff that bothered me a little bit. I also am not the biggest fan of having to do stuff like it. It happened to me at least once or twice where they told me I had to get food in my stomach basically because I haven't eaten in a long time. So I'd uh, I would pull out the some I guess the meat I had on me and I cooked it or like open a can of beans, but. Uh, Stuff like that. I that reminds me a little bit of San Andreas, where I remember like, oh, it, you know, and this is probably one of my least favorite Grand Theft Autos is having to stop to eat something because to me that slows me down when I rather just keep going, keep going. It's it's not like a major deal breaker, but like that, like in gunfights, that was really uh, a pain for me. I can also think and thanks to Josh for pointing that out to me about the cinematic view going there where the horse can drive you yourself, where I would just can. I hate it having to ride my horse, basically. I'm like, oh, man, this sucks. And then you have to pay attention to it because your horse will get weak. If, um, you know, like if you're riding it too hard, I'm like, oh, man. So, like, you had to stop, you know, pad it, give it some food, and then get back on the horse and continue riding. Stuff like that I don't care for. Some people might like that, but to me, I didn't I didn't like that. And one thing I want to point out, too, real quick about the mechanics that I, I and I, I guess I, I'm comparing it a little bit too much, not too much to the first game, but comparing it to the first game, it seems like they gimped the Red Dead Eye in this game, where they really slow you down. I, I, and it's been years since I played Red Dead, but it seemed like the Red Dead maybe was probably too overpowerful in the first game, where I used it a ton, where I would just get in these giant battles and just mark all my targets, take them all out. Or this one, it seems like you have a shorter window and it takes a long, way longer for you to get back, where you have to honestly like consume a food to get it or smoke a cigar or cigarettes but if you smoke too many cigarettes you get sick so it's like mm, little stuff like that i mean i i like i love the red dead eye it's one of my favorite mechanics and gimping it that much in this game at first granted you level it up and it gets stronger i wish it wasn't so gimped if you will yeah for me i i, I found myself not using the 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 dead eye that much Oh, really, there are some moments in the story where it forces you into that mode. But aside from that, I I just haven't been doing it. The aiming seems to be 
just fine that I don't need to do the, you know, let's take all these guys out, out at once. Like that seems like it's the, it's the, uh, in your shmups, it's the screen clearer, right? It, it's, it's a very similar, similar thing there. I, I, and I, Ryan, I have to agree with you with, with the eating mechanic. My Arthur uh, is malnourished because I have found myself, because you have to manage these cores. And so the, the cores are your, your health, your stamina and your focus, I think is the, the one for the, for the, bullet time deal the uh and then you have the circle that fills itself um based on that the thing that i found is that eating food in the middle of a firefight is the worst decision that you could possibly make and so i've been gravitating toward the tonics and those and those don't nourish you at all but they fortify your your core so that you know, you're almost impervious to injury for a short time. Uh, the problem is, though, my Arthur just doesn't eat. And uh, I think that is leading to some things with with him. And I, I, I don't want to go into it too much, but I, I have to wonder if some of the stuff that's deal that my Arthur is dealing with are things that other Arthurs are also dealing with. I, I think some of the early complaints, though, were, were, you know, having to, like, mash A to run. Or X, if you're playing on PS4, you know those kind of things. The 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 pointing your horse in the right direction. So Josh, again, thank you for 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 sharing that with us. That that made that helpful. The problem is when I play late at night, and then you've got this like peaceful music, and you've set your horse to where you want to go. It's kind of easy to doze off, uh, and I I've done that on more than one occasion. And again, it's been a stagecoach or uh, or somebody else's horse that has uh, collided with me that has jolted me out of my out of my uh, cat nap. And so, so it's been kind of funny. But I think my only complaint with any mechanic is just sort of the physics engine of. Uh, but it, that's indicative of pretty much every Rockstar game where it's like momentum is a real big deal in terms of movement. Um, and that just takes some getting used to like early on, I was running into people missing where to hitch my horse and or walking into people into a bar. And it was just, you know, it took me a while to get used to how that felt. So that was an early frustration, um, in terms of like these managing these little systems, like the focus and the dead eye and the, um, um, I guess the health core, I actually kind of like that because that gives me something like to, it, it keeps me alert, I guess, like in these big hunting expeditions or I'm trying to get from point A to point B or like if I'm getting ready to go to some kind of showdown that I know that's going to happen, I know that I need to sleep, I need to eat, I need to keep some snacks on hand, make sure my tonics are full, stop by the medicine wagon at camp or whatever. I kind of, I kind of like that. I mean, obviously they're, I think, kind of intended to be like light survival elements, but to me, they just kind of keep me engaged and, and with my horse trying to make sure it's clean and make sure that it's fed. Um, I, I don't know. I, I kind of enjoy that minute detail. Um, like you actually have to perk your coffee and you actually have to cook your meat. I mean, it's not laborious at all. It's very simple, but it's just, it's very intentionally paced. And that's one thing I think I like about the game more than anything is that it's, everything feels very intentional and everything, 
make sense in the world in terms of like these tasks. Nothing feels like it's tacked on unrealistically. It's just, we're going to make you think about these things a bit. And I, I for one like that, it keeps me engaged, but I understand why others don't too. Josh, did you have any thoughts on, on mechanics or was there anything that sort of didn't jive with you? Uh, I do. I, I, I like the pace of the game at first, uh, as it is with any big open world game, it's like, okay, I want to get to the next point. I want to get to the next point. I want to get to the next point. But I came to realize within the first, you know, three or four hours of playing, like this game wants you to take your time. It wants you to see the sites. It wants you to manage your Arthur. It wants you to manage the camp. And they want you to like take in the world, you know, be a part of this world. And, um, I, I, I think it's great. And like, Jake was just saying everything's intentional. Like, I guess if you were to like say, this is like a one word that you could say for this whole game is everything is done with intention. Like everything is purposeful, you know? So the more I sit down and play this game, the more I see that. And I appreciate it more and more as I dive, dive deeper into these other systems. Like I just recently got into hunting. I'm trying to get some of these legendary pelts and stuff like that. And that's a great time. And the more you dive into this game, the more the mechanics all fit together in this weird way and it's it's a lot it really is and it can be like almost overwhelming sometimes but um i i all in all have had a great time with the mechanics and they haven't really bothered me as much as some but yeah and uh, also one random thing as i just think the image of arthur randomly taking out a giant stake in the middle of a gun battle is a pretty funny image so yeah so <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I have to wonder how different our camps look, especially for those who have, you know, for me, who has barely touched side mission stuff, I know things are not looking very good. Like, I made, I did some of the upgrades and things like that because I could pay for it. But at the same time, like, yeah, things are things are, are kind of bleak, and it, things are kind of bleak for, for Arthur, too. But I have to wonder if, if, I, if I had taken the time uh, you know, and cultivated relationships further than what I'm getting out of the story. Like, do, you know, does your camp look different than my camp? And I would, I would venture to guess that that's probably a true, uh, you know, a very true thing. Uh, we'll have to compare notes at some point in the future to really go into that. Yeah. And, and Josh, you mentioned intention and ob obviously the, the graphically this game is, uh, I, I I would doubt any of you disagree with this statement, but it is like a master class in in uh, like art design and sound design and like just the the amount of of beauty that they can show and so many different biomes. Right, you've got mountains and you've got swamps and you've got uh, you know kind of a I think there's a deserty area. I don't know if I've been in one that's a little more barren than the rest, but did you guys have any comments uh, on, on that? Do you, do you, uh, Josh, do you, uh, do you want to comment on, on maybe like on the graphics or do you have anything else to, to add <laughs> to what I was kind of trying to say for everybody, but yeah. Um, I just wanted to mention that the foliage is the best foliage I've ever seen in any game period. That's all I wanted to say about the graphics. Like, they move it moves like real life foliage. It's kind of like breathtaking at times. So yeah. 
Uh, one thing that I'll say that that I found, and it kind of ties back with the intent and the confidence that this game has, is that you know usually when you get um, a, um, a AAA title that maybe you know, boasts about its graphics a little bit, it's going to try to show you the prettiest thing that it possibly can at the very start. Like when you start up Forza Horizon 4, it's like we're going to go countryside in autumn. When you start up Fallout 76, we're going to like, you're going to get out of that vault really quick and you're going to see what these mountains look like in the sunlight with all these god rays and stuff. But this one is like, let's start you at night in the snow. And it's just like, this is not the prettiest thing this game is going to show, but this is where the story starts and this is how confident we are that we don't need to like, you know, pedal our graphics is a selling point for this game because when the game starts, like it looks fine, but it like it takes a while for you to realize how pretty that game is. And I found that to be pretty cool because it wasn't like just throwing color at you and sunlight and, you know, all these pretty elements. It's just like it's dark and it's snowy. So deal with it. <laughs> and I like that. Yeah, it is it's kind of jarring to, to have them start you off that way and even even as you get into a place like San Denis like there is effectively smog uh you know there's a lot of orange skies in that in that area uh and not not pretty orange either just kind of yeah smoky hazy which are words i think that other people have used earlier uh in you know in describing that Ryan graphically did this did this this kind of you're playing this on in a Everyone's playing a 4K TV. So. I am. Yeah, I'm playing it on the Xbox One X. Yeah, I opted. I opted. I had the PlayStation 4 version pre-ordered, uh, but that's also before I per- I pre-ordered purchased it before I had an Xbox One X. So day to come pick up the game, I decided I wanted to get the game ahead native 4K as opposed to one that's upscaled to 4K, which is the PlayStation version. So I traded on, I guess, day of launch. For, for the Xbox version. Um, now, if someone can remind me, does this, do they give you a choice of performance versus graphics at the beginning of this too, or no? No, no they have you set the HDR stuff, like the brightness and the... Okay, so, so that was the setting change at the beginning or something like mm-hmm. that. Because the one thing I, I noticed, if, it's, if I'm going to be nitpicky here, I guess I might as well just be the one person who nitpicks it here, is, and I don't know if anyone else can see this, but when you're, if you, maybe you go in cinematic mode, you'll see it, and I noticed that mostly there when I'm just riding my horse and I see it, I could see kind of like a shadowy effect kind of going. I don't know if that's intentional that you're going fast. So you get this kind of like blurry image around the horse kind of racing a little bit, or if anyone else notices that I noticed it a little bit on the bottom of my screen and the horse, either that or I'm just sitting too close to the screen. That could be possibly it too. But um, it's one thing I noticed. So if I'm going to pick one thing, it's that it's when there's a lot of fast motion going on. I notice it, but other than that, it's it's pretty damn beautiful. So, I think I see what you're talking about. Yeah, it 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 definitely looks like a little bit of motion blur, which some people like, some people don't. I'm just kind of like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Is that dithering? Is that the term? I don't, I don't even know what that means, but I've heard it used before. <laughs> no, I, I I could see that. There's, I mean, uh, obviously any no matter how polished you try to make a game, there are going to be little, you'll, you'll see the the seams once in a while. There've been a couple of times where I get into what seems to be, well, like Arthur was coming back to camp and the there were so many NPCs in the background 
that they each kind of popped in like one after another. So, and, and then, but then they were instantly doing what they meant to be doing at that moment. Um, so you, you know, you've got somebody washing, washing clothes. You got somebody, you know, like each of them doing their own little tasks around the camp, but yeah, it was just really quick. It was just like, boom, 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 which might just be a long play session no, and it needing I, to try and catch up with it. You, or, you know, that funny that you mentioned that. So I beat the game yesterday and there's this really emotional part towards the end of the game. And it seems like and it's in a cinematic scene, but there must have been like an NPC walking in the background, but it, it just got glitched into it where it was like walking up a mountain then. Like it was like totally out of place and it's in the middle of nowhere. It's just boom, going up a mountain. I'm like, well, in in the cinematic view in the background, I'm like, well, I don't think that's supposed to be there, but oh well. You know, as, as this emotional moment's happening in the game, I'm like, eh, whatever, it glitches, if you will. So yeah. I mean, it, it's an open world game. There are other open world games that come out that do yeah. not that do not function optimally at the start. And they've done it. I would say they've done a pretty good job on all of that. Good. So, are there any other thoughts that you guys wanted to hit on before we move into kind of our lasting impressions? And it's hard to give something a rating when you know some of us are still in the middle of the game, but kind of our final thoughts on on Red Dead and us playing it for this uh, this November season six. Uh, I, I kind of want to briefly mention the music. Um, yes, go for it. Because most of the music in it kind of reminds me a little bit of last month's music where it's mostly the music's in the background, right? It's the ambiance music. And I don't know if it's called that. But, you know, like the music, well, you'll be riding a horse and it just starts playing. You know, it's in different regions, you'll hear different tracks. So it's really hard to, to tie down like, oh, this is my favorite track because you will only hear it in a certain area. And I, I can't, the world is so big. I can't remember exactly where exactly this track was playing. But a lot of the music fits like the environment. And one track, I guess I, I can recall though, that and it just stood out to me because I thought it was hilarious. It's one of the campfire songs. It's called Ring Dang Do. Essentially, I believe... Like they're like they're all celebrating something good happens, and then like if you're walking past the campfire, like Arthur tells Jose to sing a song, and they pull out the banjo and they all just group sings along here. And um, I think it's 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 a funny track if you actually listen to the lyrics. So when I was just glad you know I met a gal from Old Bordeaux. She had blonde hair and blue eyes too. Let me ride on the ring dang do the ring dang do. Now what is that? Soft and round like a pussy cat, got a hole in the middle and split in two. That's what you call the ring dang do. Took me down into her cellar, said that it was a mighty fine show. Send me wine, whisk me too. Let me ride on the ring dang do, the ring dang do. Now what is that? It's all around like a pussycat. Got a hole in the middle and split in two. That's what you call the ring dang do. <laughs> Her father come in uh, angrily uh, said, Now you have lost your maiden head. Pack your bag and coat packs too. Make, make your living off the ring dang do. The ring dang do. Now what is that? It's all around like a pussycat. Got a hole in the middle and split it too. That's what you call ring dang do. She went off to be a whore. Hung this sign upon her door. A dollar each and three for two. Take a crack a ring dang do. Now what is that? Salty round like a pussy. Got a hole in the middle and it's split in two. 
And that's, that's what they call ring dang ding. Yeah, I like the music. It's, you know, used pretty sparingly. It's used situationally. And sometimes the lack of music, you know, sort of paired up with these kind of like, I don't know, uh, spontaneous events that happen. It, it allows for, for some, you know, you don't get a musical cue about what's about to happen. That kind of reminded me of like No Country for Old Men a little bit. If you if you watch that movie, like the tension was really high in that movie because there was no musical cue telling you what's about to happen. And I like that. I like that when there's, um, you know, you don't get some kind of lead in <clears throat> to something that's about to happen. I guess the one other thing I say, which which might lead into like the lasting impression section a bit, I guess, but is Musty, you touched on it really early in the podcast when you were talking about the open world map and basically just the lack of points of interest on the map where it was just an open map and like you'll see the locations of cities. You might see like a name of a homestead or there's a legendary animal that you killed here or something like that. And I think that's one thing that really makes the game special to me in terms of like the open world, because when you play something like Skyrim or the Witcher wild hunt or any of these, uh, maybe even GTA five, like when you look at the map, it's just, you know, littered with points of interest and question marks and exclamation points. But when you look at this map, it's like you get to find what's out there. You get a real sense and a real, you know, fulfillment of discovering these things that are happening out there without the game saying, go here, go here, go here. You just happen upon them. Um, Like we were talking earlier about the weapons. I found the semi-automatic shotgun because I just rode up to a cabin and walked in and this lazy lady was sitting in the chair in the opposite room. And she was like, I can't remember which one you are, but it's about time you got here. It's in the cellar. And I was like, I have no idea what she's talking about. So I go down to the cellar and there's a weapon case with a semi-automatic shotgun. And then by the time I get back up, she's like, you staying too long down there. I'm going to go get my sons and they'll take care of you. And she runs out, hops on a mule and rides off into the middle of nowhere. And like, there was no point on the map, you know, telling me that I should go there and find this. It was just there. You know, the funny thing is I found that one too, after I purchased it. But the thing is, there was nobody there. It's just, I was just like, well, there's a home here. Let's just see if there's anybody inside and I walk inside. And I was just like, oh, I'll pick up some canned vegetables here. And I'm like, oh, what's in this room? Oh, there's a floor, you know, a ladder leading to the floor here. So I go downstairs and sure enough, there's a dirty, uh, rusted up one where if you take it to a gunsmith, they'll clean it up for you, get all nice and ready for you. But uh, yeah, was, I didn't see anybody there. So I just imagined it was an abandoned home. So I was like, I don't know. She, she lit out looking for her sons. I don't know. I don't know who they are, but, but I think that's my like big takeaway from the game in terms of just like, feeling it's just like i feel like i'm finding all this stuff and then like when you get together with friends who are playing it like we're doing now you realize that there's still so much that you haven't found and can't wait to find and it's pretty great yeah for sure ryan do you want to go ahead and transition right into your lasting impressions sure so for my lasting impressions of the game it's one of those ones where i can think of where i think when i was playing it I wasn't loving it as much as I thought I would be. And upon completing it, I loved it. It was, it was just one of those things for me where it didn't hit me right away. But then you sit back and you look and you're like, man, that was really good. That was really good. And I, 
I haven't had one of those in a long time where you just it didn't hit me right away, but it hit me as a collab, uh, a combination all at the end basically. And I'm like, you know, and I know there's stuff, there's still stuff I I gotta do, and and this is, uh, I guess a brief spoiler, nothing major at all. You can continue playing the game after the credits. So if you didn't want, if you didn't hundred percent it, and you still want to do it. You can so that that's one thing you can do. That you don't have to worry about it if you if you didn't do all your things. You know, didn't hunt all your animals. You can still do it after the game. There's still plenty of it to do. There's more to come through it and give people an idea. There are six chapters to this game and two epilogues after it. So there's still more things to do after the general basic game is done. There's still more to do before you get credits. So there's there's still like I said, there's still more things to do. You don't have to worry about the game being over. You can still play the game after the game. So, well, and there's also the prospect of of uh, online coming as well. So, yes. I mean, there's there's they've certainly equipped us with with enough to chew on until that point. Uh, so, I th- I think we'll be that's yeah. actually a huge relief to know that that it's not bound to just the story timer that you know. You know, oh, you, you want know, to go back? You got to do the whole thing from the beginning. Like that—that that would hurt a lot, uh, you especially know, for those who, you know, the a lot of these little like collectible things, like the the tobacco cards and things like that. Like those, you get a lot of people who get nervous toward the end of a game if they're like, "Oh, I have you know ninety nine out of a hundred, but if I do this, am I wiping it, or am I am I going to be able to f- to finish that out?" You know, one thing I want to mention too is I hope next E3 there's an announcement for an Undead Nightmare 2 that comes out of this here because that was one of the things I loved about the first game was that DLC eventually get a disc release of Undead Nightmare where it was essentially its own game on its own. And I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. So if they would bring that out for next E3, I would be happy and I would buy that probably day one as well. And it's funny because, you know, this is a little fun fact. I, I think I wanted to mention it too. And I, I guess there's probably the best part, you know, to mention it here too. That this game originally was going to be made by Capcom back in the day. It was supposed to be tied into the Gun Smoke series for the NES, and eventually it got, you know, named Red Dead uh, Revolver. And eventually, I think um, Rockstar, after Capcom dropped it, Rockstar, you know, picked it up and they said they had some. I guess originally it was kind of broken, and then Rockstar decided that they were going to take the helm of trying to fix and make it a game. And eventually going into what they decided that they liked what I guess they kind of had like a good launching point with Revolver that they kind of like, all right, let's do this now and make it uh, redemption here going forward. And from from what they've made here, basically, it's a fantastic, you know, franchise. And I, I think I ultimately prefer it over the Grand Theft Auto franchise. Let me get my kind of overall thoughts on on this i i i came into this game very very excited and i think there were there were points when uh in the early stage of this game where i was lukewarm on it uh and i, I think some of that was kind of attributed to the way that i was trying to play it and i i had the same kind of thing happen with horizon zero dawn last year was i put myself in too tight of a confinement on 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 what kind of timeline I was allotting myself to play the game. And so I felt like I was pushing toward, okay, focus on the story and not really, you know, not really enjoying the forest and enjoying the, the, 
the smelling the roses it was a term i've used a couple times now uh and i i think uh with the pressure being off it kind of allows me to do that now now i wonder if, if at the stage that i'm at if i'm like so far in that i might as well just push over the edge and then come back to some of that stuff or if i should just take the the detour you know of side mission world for for a little bit right now and i I just don't know how that feels. It feels weird considering where, where I'm at to be like all of a sudden, well, screw your mission. I'm going to go over here now. And, you know, where's Arthur at? He's, he's hunting. He's, you know, just having a whole lot of fun by himself. And But the game is absolutely as advertised. And, you know, to me, it it, it hits, um, it scratches that, that itch. It's... Uh, and I think it'll scratch that itch for a lot of people, even even people who maybe aren't into the Western, maybe even people who aren't into the the whole Western aesthetic, or maybe they aren't into Rockstar games uh, in in general. I I I think there's something there for people, you know, for you know, even the little components. If you just wanted a solid poker game, there's a solid poker game in here. There's a solid dominoes game. Like all of these individual components, like are so well put together by teams of people that when you take the sum of all of it and put it together, it, it just like, it's blows my mind how well crafted everything is. Uh, and not to put too much of a comparison against, uh, you know, Bethesda, but like their open world games usually need some more tinkering. I'm not seeing the need for that as much here. And maybe it's just because they've allotted themselves a bigger timeline or they have pushed their people a little bit harder than uh, than other studios do, and and maybe that's what it is. But you know, if you if you haven't played Red Dead One, I still think you should. I don't know that you have to 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 just jump in here, and I I, I think that's that's um, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, so that's kind of my thoughts there, Josh. I wanted to get your kind of lasting impressions. All right. Um... Red Dead Redemption 2 is one of my favorite open world games of all time. I don't say I'm like a connoisseur of them. I don't constantly play them either. So that take that with a grain of salt, I suppose. But I think that it's one of the biggest achievements in gaming. I think a lot of games coming going forward are going to look at this game and the systems in this game and take a lot of thoughts and the way it controls and how deliberate it, it is and take it into their own games. And uh, I think this game compares a lot to The Witcher 3 because it's just when I first played that game, it was a similar idea where it keeps going. It doesn't stop. <laughs> and it's like this game is long and dense and there's so much to it. And that uh, that's the game that when I first started playing this game, I, I got reminded of uh, a lot. And I really do think that <laughs> I don't know how the story wraps up, but. There are some stuff I did not expect that happened later on. I, I won't spoil. And I was just like, holy crap. It kind of floored me a little bit in, in a couple spots so far. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing where this game goes and how it wraps up. And uh, it's 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 mind-blowing, really, how, how much there is and how beautiful it is and the acting. Pretty much what we've been talking about this entire time. <laughs> so, yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Josh. Let, let, let's get Jake. Let's get your your kind of lasting impressions on this kind of tie a bow on the whole uh, on the whole thing. 
Uh, yeah, sure. I'll keep it um, short and sweet. I, I do think this is my favorite open world. Uh, I'm, I guess I'm like Josh in the fact that I'm not a connoisseur of open world games. But I think that this one has kept me engaged and kept me, I don't know, entertained in ways that others haven't. And I, I guess to, to literally tie it all up, I, I do think that the parts of this game are equal to the sum of it. I don't think there's a part of this game that that really fails anywhere. I mean, I do have complaints with the physics engine, but that's just a rock star thing that I expected. But I feel like every part of this game is just as good as all of this game. And um, yeah, it's I can see a lot of people having the conversation of this being the new high watermark for games, and I will probably have to agree. Very good. So I did want to, uh, I do have a comment that I want to read from one of our patrons that uh, decided that to give us one of the things that we want to try doing with these live shows is to allow whoever's in the in the audience a chance to vocalize and, and have their thoughts uh, kind of interjected at the end here. Um, so uh, we do have Dean from Round 2 Gaming uh, is here, and uh, Dean says this is basically his elevator pitch for people who, again, are on the fence or haven't played. It's kind of, again, we've all given our lasting impressions, but I want to make sure that we're not the only ones that are heard here because we do have a large community and we want uh, want those people to be heard too. Uh, he says, whether the turn of the century timepiece is appealing to you or not, there's no doubt that this game has redefined what's possible in this generation by resetting the bar of polish and scripting. And if anything has me incredibly excited of what's possible in the coming years. And I think that is about as succinct a... Uh, a description as, as, as we can give for this. And yeah, I, I think the, the future is bright if we can have this as sort of that, that this is kind of a high water mark, right? Like we can't assume that everything is always going to hit this level, but if something, if the, if the, there's a level of expectation that we want this type of experience out of our games, I think that, uh, I think that Red Dead Redemption 2 has kind of, kind of given us that, that vision of what we, what we expect out of a game that seeks to do so much in the first place. So that's the show folks. I want to thank our guests for being here. So Jake, where can we uh, find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at the McGaxle on Twitter and I am one half of the polykill podcast with new episodes every other Monday. Thanks for being here, Jake. Josh, where can we find you on the internet? You can follow me at Frantic Society on Twitter, and I do a weekly solo podcast called Frantic Thoughts. Thanks for being here, Josh. And as for myself, you can find me on Twitter at It's Rocket Sauce, and I am occasionally, I'm mostly on the, the weekly hangouts on Tuesday nights. So uh, check out the Cartridge Club Hangouts YouTube page and uh, come join in on the show. Uh, Musty, where can we find you? Yeah, uh, best spot to find me would be on Twitter at Musty Hobbit or over on my YouTube channel, which is uh, Second Breakfast. Uh, and uh, again, I post a lot of my videos to also to the Cartridge Club website, which is again where you can find all of the content from various content creators that are associated to the club. Uh, so I would encourage you to check out that site along with our forums. We have a Discord as well. Links to these, I'm sure, will be somewhere where you can find them. But uh, uh, again, I would like to thank all of you guys for, for being here to talk through this with us. Um, and again, it was 
a bit of an experiment by playing a very new game. Uh, and so we have the next couple months planned out. Um, and so I would just want to reiterate, we've already kind of announced these, but to people who aren't on Twitter, maybe you didn't see the announcement. In December, we will be playing uh, the uh, an NES classic game from Capcom, and that is DuckTales. Uh, and then in January, we are going to be playing uh, a sort of modern spin on uh, some old, older game mechanics, and that is uh, we'll be playing Shantae Half Genie Hero. And we'll actually be playing, that'll be Shantae Month, because both uh, our sister podcast, uh, CC Portable, will be playing Shantae I think they're playing the original one. Uh, and then we're playing the newest Half Genie Hero, which is available on uh, everything, including Steam. Um, so uh, definitely find that, play along with us. Uh, and then in February, we're in previous years, we used to do a long RPG during the shortest month of the year, which is not quite that funny anymore. Uh, so we're spinning it uh, a little bit, and we are going to be playing a game that's based around love kind of, uh, and we are playing uh, for, it was on PS3 and uh, Xbox 360, we are playing Catherine. Uh, and so we are very excited to have those ahead, uh, and we have uh, big games planned for the rest of the year, so we encourage you to check that out, uh, and uh, we've got some some surprises ahead still. So uh, excited to have you along for the ride. So uh, again, please thank you for all joining us here. And again, I do want to reiterate and thank those patrons who are here uh, with us for the live stream and uh, for, for accommodating that and joining us. Uh, if you are interested in uh, helping contribute and uh, to fund the club, uh, you can check us out at patreon.com slash cartridge club. But we're going to go ahead and wrap there. We hope to see you again next month. CC Unite. Cruel, cruel world must I go on. Cruel, cruel world I'm moving on. I've been living too fast. I've been living too wrong. Cruel, cruel world I'm gone. This big old world you got me.
desert plain I have seen so much pain Now I see into the eyes of a girl Then that I must go to her away from this cruel world. Cruel, cruel world, must I go on? Cruel, cruel, I'm moving on. I've been living too fast, I've been living too wrong. I mean, generally, Arthur seems like a pretty agreeable guy. Uh, tends to tends to stick to a few very common phrases. Do you guys have have your own little impressions of Arthur uh, in in camp? Well, he sure does say sure a lot. So, uh, but he's got the tone of saying sure. So that's my impression of Arthur. <laughs> I sure do. <laughs> that's <really> uh, bad. <laughs> I've noticed him saying all right a lot. So mm. it's always a little bit like. Oh, you're all right. <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> spot on. Yeah. That's nice. That's good. I'm the gigant. Sure. 